Are you happy today? I run into folks, family from around, or from the church around town sometimes, and I say, how you doing? And there's still a remnant of us that will answer. And there she is. How you doing, church? Better than ever. Glory to God. Well, we're going to get into the word this morning, but before we do, listen, I don't want to do this, what I'm about to do. I don't want to do it, but I don't see any other way around it. It's Father's Day, and I feel obligated to tell some dad jokes. I don't want, listen, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to do it, but I feel like I'm going to have to in honor of all our dads. So I do have a few of them here. Some of them are original. I'm not going to tell you which ones. Just assume the funniest ones are mine. But um, if you've never heard a dad joke, oh, there's a reason it rhymes with bad joke. Um, how do you know when a, when a dad joke is funny? When it becomes apparent? See, a lot like that. So let's see here. Let me just start with this one. Knock, knock. Oh, you've heard that one. Never mind. Okay. Um, right. Why, why did the pony ask for a glass of water? Because it was a little horse. That's good. Thank you, Lord. Can I get an amen? Uh, did, you, did you hear about the woman who couldn't stop collecting magazines? She had issues. What did one hat say to the other hat? You wait here, I'll go on ahead. Somebody's laughing, and I appreciate that. Thank you. I like this one. I hadn't heard this one until yesterday. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. That was good. Why shouldn't you play poker in the jungle? Too many cheetahs. How does the crayon answer the phone? Yellow. And then finally, what is the best time to go to the dentist? Tooth hurdy. There you go. Thank you. One, one clap. No, listen, don't. Don't do that. Don't clap for that. I didn't want to do that. In other news, did you bring a Bible with you this morning? Go with me again to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll look at verse 21, although I know you know it by now. It's deeply engraved in your heart. And our confession over the last number of weeks has been, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And that is taken from this scripture here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, for he made him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. And I want you to pay careful attention to these words today, that we might become, that we might become, become what? The righteousness of God in Christ. That is what's right with you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And in a world where we are taught and trained and nearly disciplined to focus on what's wrong with us, as believers living by the spirit of faith, walking by faith, we have to access a new nature that doesn't focus on what's wrong. We look to what's right. So for weeks now, we've been asking and answering this question, what's right with you? And this is the answer. I am the righteousness of God in him, in Christ Jesus. Amen. The New Living Translation says it this way. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin that we could be made right with God. Are you right with God? That is the question. That is the big question. And I know people ask a lot of questions in life and they wonder about a lot of things, but here is the question that matters most. Are you right with God? And you ask a lot of people that question and their answer might be, I don't know. Some people might just flat out tell you, no, I'm not. Well, the good news is you can be. 
That's why he gave us Jesus. That's why Jesus, who knew no sin, was made to be sin for us that you might become the righteousness of God in him or that you might be made right with God. You can know today that everything between you and God is right if you'll find out who you are in Jesus. The Amplified Classic Bible says, For our sake, he made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become endued with, viewing as being in and examples of the righteousness of God. That means what we ought to be, approved, acceptable, and in right relationship with him by his goodness. This is what it means to be right. This is what's right with you. You are approved of by God, not disapproved. You are accepted, not rejected. And you are in right relationship with him if you are in Christ Jesus. One of the greatest things you or anybody else in this world will ever find out is who they are in Jesus and who Jesus is in them. And as you read the scriptures, as you fellowship with God and his word, that is what you should be looking for all the time. When you read your Bible, as we read together as a church, we read that chapter every day. You should be digging through that. Reveal to me more, Jesus, of who I am in you and who you are in me. That's identity. And what I've come to see as we've digged into this, is that the right word? Digged? As we've dug deeper, let's say it like that, into this topic, um, that that's what the Lord has been talking to us about more than anything, is identification. To find out that you are right with God or that you are the righteousness of God in Christ is really just to find out who you are. It's about identification. And this is what the Lord has focused on so much as we've studied about this, is revealing to us that Jesus gave us the legal right. Are you listening? The legal right to identify with him. And as a minister of the gospel, this is the biggest part of my job, is to get you to identify with him. What I discovered early on 10, 15, even 20 years ago when I began preaching was this subtle, almost subconscious pressure that I felt as a minister to get the people to, for some reason, identify with me. And I remember years into preaching, I was before the Lord one day studying and praying, and he told me to, in this upcoming message, talk about some things, some things I had been through, some challenging things, and, and just to give my personal testimony about that, and I did. And I experienced something in that service, after that sermon, that I'd never experienced before. I, I, we might say it like this, I got real transparent. Some people say vulnerable, right? Where I, I gave details, like I said, about some challenging things I'd been through and the testimony in my life and so on. Well, after that service, man, I had a line of people. I never had a line of people. I never had a line of people telling me, wow, wonderful. But I had a line of people that were telling me, I'm so glad you said that. That helped me so much. I've been through the same thing. And on one hand, I'm glad that it helped those people. But looking back on it now, you know, a week later, I thought to myself, I'm going to tell them something else I did. <laughs> I'm going to tell them something else I've been through. Let me tell them something else about my life. And that doesn't sound bad, and maybe it's not, but, but as a minister, I have to check the motive. And what I realized the next time I got up to minister and shared that, what I could sense in the middle of it, there's no anointing on this. There's no grace to be sharing this right now. And I discovered without realizing it, what I was trying to do is solicit that response again or get people to identify with me. But you don't want a preacher or a pastor who you can identify with. Now, that's a trick of the enemy, isn't it? Because we hear people say all the time, man, I really like that preaching. I really identify with them. Okay, but what's greater here? You identifying with me or you identifying with Jesus? Paul even said it like this. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, our Lord. I don't need you identifying with me. You don't need to be identifying with me. 
I need to preach the gospel to you until you begin to identify with Jesus. I need you identifying with him, with his victory. Amen. And what Jesus has done through his death, his burial, his resurrection has given us the legal right to identify with him. He has invited us into this. And this is why the scripture says we were crucified together with him. We were buried together with him. We were raised together with him. And we have been seated together with him. That's identification. Now, I look back on my life, and I know yours as well. Um, I didn't go to a cross. Did you? No. No. I wasn't buried in a tomb. I didn't go into the heart of the earth three days and three nights. I wasn't raised from the dead. And yet, through faith in him, heaven records it that I did those things because righteousness is not based on you being the one that went to the cross. Righteousness is not based on you being the one that was buried and raised again. Righteousness is based on your faith in the one who was. Amen. And through your faith in him, he's given you the legal right to identify with him. So I can say I was crucified with him. I can say I was buried with him. I was raised with him. And I am seated with him in heavenly places. Even though my physical body didn't do all that, my faith in him gives me the legal right to say I identify with him. Your righteousness is about your identification. Amen. Now let me tell you what I don't identify as and what you shouldn't identify as. I don't identify as a sinner. Now that sounds funny to us, doesn't it? Because we're trained in church culture and in religion to say we're all sinners. Have you ever heard anybody say that? We're all just sinners. People will say we're all just sinners saved by grace. But in the words of my grandfather, you can't be both. <laughs> you either are an old sinner or you've been saved by grace, but you cannot identify as both. That's schizophrenic. That is spiritual schizophrenia. You can't identify as both. I don't identify as a sinner. Now that's not me saying I've never sinned. That's not me saying I haven't and don't miss it. That's me saying I don't identify with that. I identify with the one who rose again victorious over sin, conquered it. So when I do miss it and mess up, I run to that one. And like we talked about back in the beginning of this series, my repentance restores that relationship. The blood cleanses me of all un righteousness, and I identified not with the sin, but with the one victorious over it. This matters, church. It matters how you identify. I don't identify as a sinner. I identify as one approved of. I identify as one accepted. I identify as one in right relationship with God. Can you say that? I identify. That's a pretty familiar expression nowadays, isn't it? Well, we should be doing some identification. And when anybody and everybody can identify as anything they apparently want to be, you and I can identify. And yet we've got a source for it. We're not making stuff up here. We can identify as the righteousness of God in Christ. Let me tell you what else I don't identify as, and you shouldn't either. I don't identify as sick. And I don't care what my body says. I don't care what it's screaming at me at any given time. I don't care what the report or the diagnosis is. I don't identify as the sick one. Are you with me? This is so important. Because when you begin to identify with that sickness, when that sickness becomes a part of your identity and you see yourself inseparable from it, that's when it becomes hard to receive healing. Receiving healing is not a complicated thing until you identify with the sickness. 
And those things that we call them chronic things that try to hang around in our lives for a long time, pain here, pain in this joint, bad eye, bad ear, bad heart, bad lungs, bad liver, and you've had these things for a long time. If you're honest, the temptation is to begin to identify with that. And you start setting limitations up in your life. I can't do that because of this. I can't go there because I am this. I am diabetic. I am sick. I am I, I do have chronic pain. That's identification. I don't identify as sick. And people may say to you, well, you're just pretending. This isn't about pretending. Faith calls those things that be not as though they are. We're not pretending it doesn't exist. We're not trying to bury our heads in the sand and saying, there's no such thing as back pain. You know when you hurting. But I'm talking to you about identification identification. I don't identify as sick. Okay, so what do I identify as? Well, if Jesus has invited me and given me the legal right to identify with him, in him, by him, then I don't identify as sick. I identify as the one who's by his stripes, I'm healed. See, it's a different identification. And that's what righteousness is about. It's about your identification. I don't identify as broken. I'm saying these things because they're, they're so commonplace, even among Christians, even among believers, which should tell us there is a serious identity crisis in the church. We don't know who we are. We've all heard it said, we're all just sinners. Have you ever heard this one? We're all just broken people. That is is a wrong identity. That's not the right identification. I don't identify as broken. I identify with Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, which says, I am complete in him. Now, don't forget those last two words. I am complete, how? In him. So I don't identify as the broken. I identify as the complete in him. And people can live through this life if they want to, believing they're a broken mess. But why should we, when Jesus paid the price that he paid, when Jesus has invited us into a right relationship with God, where all these broken pieces can be put back together, and you don't have to be a, a puzzle with a bunch of missing pieces. You can be complete in him. Yes. That's your identification. Say it again. I identify. I as complete, as complete in him. In These things matter. How you identify matters. I don't identify as poor. I don't identify as poor and I don't care what the bank account tells me. I don't care how much I don't have and how much I appear to need. I do not identify with the lack. Even if it's there, I'm not going to identify with it any more than I would identify with sin, any more than I would identify with sickness or brokenness. Why should I identify with poverty? And yet this is the pervasive identity that the church would love for you to take on, that, that religion wants you to possess. We're all just poor people. Why would you identify that way? When Jesus, who was rich, but for your sake became poor so that you through his poverty might become does that sound like 2 Corinthians 5 21 that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ why would I identify with lack when he became that so I could become something else it makes no sense for me to identify with sin when Jesus went to the cross to gain my victory over it. It makes no sense for me to identify with sickness when Jesus took stripes on his back so that I could identify with the healing. It makes no sense for me to identify as broken when he put me back together and in him I am complete. So why on earth would we identify as poor, lacking, always behind, always coming short and thinking somehow that's the mysterious will of God when he has invited us into right relationship with him, given us a new identity that through his poverty we might 
become rich. And in case you're sitting there going, well, that's spiritual richness. Look it up. That's right here in this book of 2 Corinthians. And it's chapter 8. And he's talking to them about M-O-N-E-Y. He's talking to them. He's talking about their giving. He's talking about their offerings. And he said, I want you to abound in this grace also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I'm going to say it again until all that old religion just falls off you. Don't pretend that's not in there. Amen. How do you identify? That's what this righteousness is all about. It's a new identity. Now, we looked at this verse for several weeks in a row. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, that says, The wicked flee. Now, remember what we talked about last week, I think it was? The wicked. We tend to think of that as somebody who just does bad things, wrong things. And that's in there. But the definition of the word literally means the condemned, the judged. And that's not us. I said, that's not us. We're not the condemned. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Condemnation is no longer your identity. But those who are condemned, he says, they flee when no one pursues. They live a lifestyle of fear. But in contrast, the righteous, what are you supposed to say? I heard it. That's me. The righteous are bold as a lion. So we talked for several weeks about this uncommon boldness, which is supposed to be a defining characteristic of somebody who is the righteousness of God and believes they are the righteousness of God. That's the big part of it right there. Do you actually believe that you are? Well, how do I know if I believe that? There will be a boldness. You will live your life with a boldness and an uncommon boldness. Boldness and confidence in the face of uncertainty. And when the rest of this world is running backwards in fear, you're running forward in faith, man, with this boldness that rises up on the inside. Well, where does that boldness come from? It comes from knowing who you are. It comes from knowing your identity. This boldness that we have in him comes from knowing who we are in him. Now listen to this. To some, what I'm saying might sound like arrogance, but it's not. It's important that we know the difference between arrogance and boldness. Arrogance would be self-identifying as righteous. Or you might call it self-righteousness. Thinking that you are right in and of yourself. Arrogance is this self-awareness, and it is a lack of awareness of Jesus. But boldness is not arrogance. Boldness is just the result of knowing who you are in Him. Not who you are in you. Who cares about that? Who cares about who you are in you? What you want to know is who you are in Him. And when you find that out, boldness is the result. Now, the, the example we looked at was the children of Israel standing at the threshold, man, of this promised land that God had delivered them out of Egypt and brought them to and told them, it's yours. Go take it. Take it. And so he told them, you send out some spies and go check out the land. And Moses got together spies and he sent them into the land. He told them some things to look for. What he didn't tell them was go find out if it's possible. He didn't say, go find out if you think you can do this or not. But that's what they did. Twelve spies went into the land and they brought back a report to Moses and the congregation of the children of Israel. And they said, oh yeah, it's a good land. It flows with milk and honey. Here's the fruit from it. Great land. But it's got giants in it. It's got tall walls. And they came back with the report, it's impossible. There's no way we can take it. 
we cannot do this because of all these giants? And if you remember in, what was it, Numbers chapter 13, 10 of those spies came back and said, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. What's the problem? Identification. Now, identifying as a grasshopper, that doesn't sound too strange to us in 2023. We've heard lots of people identifying as lots of things. But this should not be their identification. And yet it is. We are like grasshoppers. Listen to the order. In our sight, so we were in theirs. People are convinced. Have you noticed this? The way that others see them. But really what it is is a revelation of how you see yourself. We see ourselves as grasshoppers, so they must also. Wrong identification. And it was in chapter 14, actually right around there, 13 and 14, that even though those 10 spies were saying, it can't be done, it can't be done, it can't be done, this man Caleb and his buddy Joshua, they spoke up. The Bible says they quieted all the people, told everybody to sit down and shut up. And Caleb said, we are well able. Now that's different, isn't it? That is a different report than there's no way, we can't do it, it's impossible. Yet here's Caleb who saw all the same stuff the other 10 saw, and he said, y'all shut up. Yes, we can. We are well able. And he said this, let's go right now and take it. Take it. Now that ought to mean something to you and to me. Because the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, has said to us, come boldly to the throne of grace. That sounds strange, doesn't it? You want me to go in there boldly? People think about God and coming before God, and they think about groveling and crawling and hoping they don't get smited, whatever that means. <laughs> but that is not how he invited you to come in. He said, come boldly. Well, where does that kind of boldness come from? It comes from your identification. I'm not coming in before the throne in the name of Jeremy. There's no boldness in that. That's arrogance. But when I come before the throne of grace in the name of Jesus, that is identifying with him, I can come boldly. He said, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help. And going back just a few weeks ago, we've decided that at any given moment in our lives, those are the two things we need more than anything else. You and I are in constant need of mercy and grace to help. And if it's not one, it's the other. And most of the time it's both. Say it out loud. I need some mercy. I love mercy. I need grace. You are acknowledging when you say that, I'm not able to do this on my own. I need grace to help. Whatever it is you need help with, there's grace to help with it. If you need some help parenting, guess what? There's grace for that. People like to talk about how there's an app for everything. There's an app for that. Oh, there's an app for that. Well, I can do you one better than that. There's a grace for that. You need help in your marriage? There's a grace for that. You need help in, in, in the health of your physical body. There is grace for that. You need help in your finances. There is grace for that. But it starts with you acknowledging, I need help. When you fail to acknowledge the need for help, that's called arrogance. That's arrogance. Boldness is, Lord, I'm here. Hi, me again. I'm at your throne. I need some mercy. I need some help. And that word obtain, where he said, come obtain it, is the same word translated, who remembers? Take it. Take it. Come before the throne of grace and take that mercy and take that grace. How many know you got to be bold to just walk up to the throne and take your grace? Well, Caleb was bold. He said, we are well able. Let's go right now and take it. Let's take that land. He went on into chapter 14, and he said this, and this reveals identity. He said, the Lord 
delights in us. See, everybody else saw themselves as grasshoppers. Caleb and Joshua saw themselves, they identified as the ones he delights in. How are you identifying this morning? Are you identifying as a grasshopper? What is that? Small, weak, easily stepped on? Or do you identify as one in whom the Lord delights? I'm telling you, church, he delights in me. Does he delight in you? You ought to say it all the time. He delights in me. The Lord delights in me. And that's what Caleb said. He delights in us. Look what he's done for us. He likes us. He really, really likes us. And he had to like them to stay with them through all their stupid stuff. And yet he's still there. He's still there. He's still there. He must like these people. And Caleb said, he delights in us. Let's go right now and take it. But when they, they tried to kill him over it. They tried to stone Caleb and Joshua over that. And the Lord spoke up in the middle of it, talked to Moses, and he said, how long will these people reject me? When you and I don't take by faith what grace has offered, you are rejecting him. Be like somebody coming up to you, offering you a present because they like you, because they love you, because they want to bless you, and you say no. They're not just rejecting your gift. What are they rejecting? You. And the Lord took it personally. Why and how long are they going to reject me? And it was in that moment that he said, not one of this generation is going in. Except that Caleb guy. Except Joshua. You know what the Lord said about them? He's got a different spirit in him. What's he saying? I like that guy. And what was that different spirit? Boldness. Boldness that comes from knowing he delights in you. That's righteousness. Amen. How do you identify? Thank you, Lord. Now, we also looked last week, put this on the screen for you, Psalm chapter 37, verse 25. Look at this again. Love this verse. Thank you, Lord, for this verse. David says, I have been young and now I'm old, which in itself is a good testimony, isn't it? Means you didn't get cut short. Means you've lived out the number of your days. David says, I have been young and now I'm old. Yet, I have not seen who? The righteous, that's me, forsaken. When you come to a place in your life where you've lived a long life, and some of, some of you who are, are elders, you've, you've lived longer than the rest of us, you could attest to this. You could say, man, I've seen some stuff. You stay around this place long enough, you're going to see some stuff. And you can come to the place in your life where you feel like you've seen everything. And I imagine that's where David was. And so much of his life is recorded for us in Scripture, and every one of us know, yeah, He's seen some stuff. He's walked through some things. He's made some good choices. He's made some not so good choices. He's seen the blessing of the Lord. He's seen what happens when you disobey. He has seen some stuff. And David is saying, you know what? I've been young. Now I'm old. But you know what I've never seen? I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Now, after a long life, you would think, that you would have at least seen one or two righteous forsaken. And David said, I've never seen it. Never once. So because of that, you know what I don't identify as? Lonely. I don't identify as forsaken. There's so much that goes on in church culture that tries to label people as, you know, we've all been there. We all just feel so distant from God. Stop identifying with that. Come on, have some faith about you. Don't look to the feeling of God being close to you to convince you whether or not he's close to you. I don't care if he feels as far away from you as the sun. This was the topic of conversation on the way to church in our car this morning. Justice was telling Jesse how the church is 90, or the, the excuse me, the sun is 93 million miles away from the earth. 
They're having a big conversation about this. So we were trying to figure out who's closer, us in Colorado or our family in Texas. 93 million miles away. That's a long way. I don't care if God feels like he's 193 million miles away. Don't identify as lonely. Don't identify as that. And if you got to say it, then say it by faith. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He's as near to me as my next breath. I can talk to him right here and now as though he was here right here and now because he is. And even better than being right next to me, he's in me. Who cares what the feelings tell you? You tell them. I'm not forsaken. I'm not alone. He has never forsaken the righteous. And he's not starting with you. He's not starting with me. I'm not forsaken. So I, de- I don't identify as forsaken. Now this verse goes on. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor have I seen this, his descendants. Whose descendants? The righteous. Now this is where it gets really cool. And this is what I want to spend the, the few minutes that we have left talking about. This verse, in it we discover not only a promise to the man or woman who is the righteousness of God, but something else concerning their descendants, their sons, their daughters. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor have I ever seen the righteous person's descendants begging bread. It goes on to say, he, this righteous person, is ever merciful. He lends And his, this righteous person's descendants, are blessed. So who is the righteous? That's me. Now guess what? Your descendants, come on, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren have the blessing of the Lord because you identify as the righteousness of God. Which is why it is so critically important that we find out what it means to raise our families in a house of faith. We must raise our children to know and to believe you, they are the righteousness of God in Christ. There is, we talked a moment ago about an identity crisis. There is a massive identity crisis happening in this world. And you and I both know it's being pushed actively every day, forcefully on our children. But you want to eliminate all the confusion about who and what they are? I don't know what I am. I was born this, maybe I'm that. Maybe I'm neither. Maybe I'm a dog, maybe I'm a cat, maybe I'm a grasshopper. You want to eliminate all that? Tell them who they are in Jesus. Tell them who they are in Him. Raise them in a household where they are trained to believe the Word of God. And when they don't know who they are, they run to God to find out who they are. They're not running to culture to say, who am I? You tell me who I am. They're not looking to feelings to define for them who they are. They're not looking at an unbelieving world to supply for them their definition, their identity. No, they got that a long time ago from their righteous mom and their righteous dad who served a righteous God and they were raised in a righteous home trained to believe they are the righteousness of God in Christ and even if I don't know this that or the other baby I know this this is who I am is who I am in Jesus is who Jesus is in me and we eliminate all confusion glory to God and when you raise your children in that environment guess what you are ensuring that the descendants of the righteous are not beggars. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their descendants begging for bread. The Amplified Bible, he says, I've never seen the descendants pleading for bread. All day long, the righteous is gracious. He lends and his descendants are a blessing. 
One translation says the descendants are blessed. Another translation says the descendants are a blessing. Well, they're both right. And if you want your descendants to be a blessing, they're going to have to find out how blessed they are. And that's who they are in Jesus. That is the righteousness of God that they are in him. Thank you, Lord. Listen to this. The descendants of the righteous are not supposed to be begging for bread. Believers are not beggars. I don't identify as a beggar. There is a mentality, a beggar's mentality, that is far too pervasive in the church, thinking that to get something from God requires you to beg, requires you to plead, and the beggar's mentality is, I'm unworthy, I don't deserve it. The beggar's mentality is, you have every right to withhold it, but I'm begging you. But listen, believers are not beggars. We don't identify as beggars. When we raise our sons and daughters in a house of faith and tell them every day who they are in Christ, they will not take part in the global identity crisis happening right in front of us. They don't have to be confused about who and what they are. They won't ask the unbelieving culture to tell them who they are, but we must raise them to be believers and not beggars. Now, to be made righteous, let me focus on this, is to be elevated to the status of a son, to the status of a daughter. I don't identify as a beggar. I identify as a son in the house of his father. I identify as a child of God, and as a son, I have all the rights that the son has in the father's house. Galatians chapter 4. Verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you, he's about to reveal some identity to you. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You remember I said we're reading the word looking for identity. Who am I in Jesus? Who is Jesus in me? You just found out. You also just found out who you're not. You are not a slave. You are a believer, not a beggar. You are a son and not a slave. Don't identify with the mentality of a beggar or that of a slave. Identify with the mentality of a son. Don't turn there, but you can just listen to this. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, behold, not a word we use too much anymore, but you know what it means? Look, look at this. Look at here, look at here, look at what I'm going to show you. If you and I are standing out on a mountaintop around here and I'm looking in one direction, you're looking in another and I say to you, behold, what am I telling you? Quit looking at what you're looking at. Start looking at what I'm looking at. That's what this scripture is saying. And there comes a time you got to stop looking at some stuff and start looking at some other stuff. And here's what you got to start looking at. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. One translation adds, and so we are. You are a child of God because he calls you his child. And that is love. And you need to get your eyes over here on that love. Look at this love. He calls you his child. And you know what you've done. You know what I've done. And yet he calls you his child. I can't tell you how many times as a kid growing up in my house, I heard and saw my mom look at my dad after something I did and say to him, that's your son. <laughs> Come on, be honest, moms, dads. Have you ever, you ever been tempted to not claim your child, especially in public when they're acting a fool? What do you say? I don't know whose kid that is. I don't know who that person came with. The temptation we have because of them acting the way they are to not claim them. Guess what? Your heavenly father will never not claim you. 
even though the dumb stuff you've done, I've done, the way we've missed it, the way we've sinned, I know, I get it, but he will never not claim you. Still claims you as his son. So what should you be identifying as? A beggar? A slave? A son? A daughter? In your father's house? Amen. Glory to God. We're not beggars. Believers are not beggars. Oh, there's so much more to this. I don't want to take too much more time. But I, I, remember, I remember the day I became a dad. And if you're a father, you remember that day, don't you? Every detail about that day. That day for me started about 3 or 4 o'clock that morning. When Sarah nudged me awake. And it was pretty common throughout her pregnancy, the first one especially, she would get that kind of pain in her lower back in the middle of the night. She'd be like, can you please just rub my back? Which, of course, I was so very happy to do, roll over and rub that back for probably 10, 12 seconds at least. <laughs> and I found it was so hard to lie down and rub somebody's back and say, and I, of course, would drift back off to sleep. But about 3, 4, 5 o'clock that morning maybe, she finally got out of bed. And she was just feeling different. Now, this was two weeks before the boy was due. But she's in our bathroom getting ready. And, and, and uh, I thought, are we headed somewhere? What's going on right now? And she said, I think we need to go to the hospital. And again, we're a couple of weeks out. What's going on here? So I thought we were going to get there and they were going to tell us close, but not yet. Well, we get there, and I remember everything about the drive there. Sarah remembers everything about the drive there. She felt every bump in the road. She, it was Jeremy, slow down. But we get there, and we get her checked in, and they check her out, and sure enough, we're about to have a baby. And I remember saying to that nurse, we're having a baby today? She said, you are having a baby today. So we called the family, and Sarah's family was, they were in Branson, Missouri. We were in Fort Worth, but we got them on a plane, got them there as quick as we could. And that little guy, Justice James Pearsons, he showed up that day healthy and strong and changed my life forever. And uh, I just remember looking at him that day and, and realizing there is nothing I wouldn't do for this thing. There is nothing I wouldn't give, no price I wouldn't pay. This little guy just changed my whole world forever. And that change didn't just last one day. It seemed like he was changing it more and more every day. And uh, the funny thing about him, I noticed, right when he was born, and really for months, he spoke no English, which I thought was interesting. No English whatsoever. And I mean for months. For months, it was nothing but grunts, and giggles, and squeaks, and cries. And I can't tell you how many times I just wished and prayed he would speak English. Especially 2.30 in the morning when he's just screaming, crying, and I just want to be like, bro, tell me what you want. You say it, I'll do it, but just I get, I've tried everything. Please tell me. No English. Until one day. One day. The three of us were in our kitchen, that first little house we lived in together, and Sarah's feeding Justice yogurt. So this is what, six, nine months, something like that, after this little guy showed up. And out of nowhere, you know what my son said? Dad, dad. My son said, dad, dad. It was like a drop the mic moment for me. I thought, this is it. I've arrived. My son said, dad, dad. And you know what I said? Say it again. <laughs> Say it again, man. Say it again. And I wanted to hear it over and over. And it put such a smile on my face, put such joy in my heart. And a couple of days later, we were out on a walk. We would go on a walk with him in the stroller around our neighborhood. And the Lord spoke up on the inside of me. I don't mean I heard a voice. I just mean he said something to me on the inside. And he asked me a question. He said, you want to know why it pleases you to hear him say that? I said, why? He said, because your son is learning to speak your language. Your son is learning to speak your language. 
And as soon as he asked me that, why does it please you? Man, my heart ran to Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How much joy it brings our God when we learn to speak his language. His language is the language of faith. And there are so many people crying out, pleading, begging, praying prayers. Now, this is going to sound funny to you, that he doesn't even hear. Doesn't God hear all prayers? No. Jesus told us in the book of Matthew, there are those prayers he doesn't hear. Well, if you want to pray a prayer that he hears, doesn't it make sense you're going to have to speak a language he understands? Right? Now, when Justice was born, we lived in Fort Worth, Texas. And I noticed this about Texas. When I would flip through the TV stations on my television, we had a whole series of Spanish channels, and, which is great. The only thing I have a problem with is that I don't speak Spanish. So everything coming across those channels is doing nothing for me. Right? You know what doesn't help? turning it up. And yet we try that, don't we? Have you ever tried to talk to somebody and you ask them a question and, oh, sorry, no, uh, no habla inglés. I mean, what I need is, can you tell me how to? Turning up the volume is not going to do anything. If you want to get anywhere, what do you have to do? Speak the same language. Turning up the volume on the television when they're speaking in a language I don't understand doesn't help me understand it. Turning up the volume on your begging is not, is not going to cause God to hear a prayer. God no obla beggar. You understand what I'm telling you this morning? He no obla doubt. He no obla unbelief. He no obla fear. He obla faith. And if you want to speak to him in a way he hears it, receives it, understands it, responds to it. you got to speak the language he speaks. Believers are not beggars. Sons are not slaves. You want your father to take delight in you, be pleased with you. Speak the language your father speaks. The language of faith. Amen? Go ahead and stand up with me. Thank you, Lord. He takes pleasure in you and I learning to speak his language. So if he doesn't hear beggar, then how do we receive from him what we need? Well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask. He didn't say beg, didn't say plead. He said ask. And the result would be, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who begs, no, everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. He who knocks, it'll be opened. Or what man is there among you, Jesus said, who if his son asks for bread, not begging for bread, asking, who among you has a son who asked for bread would give him a stone? You wouldn't do that, would you? If your son, my son, asks bread from you, from me, and you've got plenty of bread, he's hungry, you've got what he needs to, to, to be satisfied, to be filled, do you say to him, son, yeah, you know, I've got some bread here, but what you really need is a rock. So suck on that. You wouldn't do it. And yet how many people believe that is exactly the way God treats us? We're asking for this, but he gives you something hard instead. That's not him. How many of you would do that? You wouldn't do that. Or if your son asked for a fish, you, would you give him a serpent? No. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who beg him, those who plead, 
Those who cry the loudest, shed the biggest tears. No, those who ask, ask. And you put this together with James who tells us you have not because you ask not. Is it that simple? He didn't say you have not because you didn't beg loud enough. He didn't say you have not because you didn't let enough time go by so God could teach you all these mysterious lessons by feeding you rocks and serpents. You have not because you didn't ask. And he said, when you ask, you need to ask in, speak a language he understands. You ask, knowing it's his will to give it to you. And you say, thank you, Father, for it. I believe I receive it because you're good. And I thank you for it. Man, could it be that simple? It is. You think, well, I don't know if I'm bold enough just to ask. Well, you don't know who you are. Find out who you are in him, and you will ask, and you will ask big. Just ask yourself this, is there anything he wouldn't do for Jesus? Well, there's nothing he wouldn't do for you. Let's do it right now. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's raise our hands and worship. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Lord, in obedience to your word, we ask, and we ask in faith believing it is your will to abundantly supply anything and everything we have need of. And we believe we receive it right now from your throne of grace. We take it with thanksgiving and joy because you are such a good, faithful Father. We thank you. Now, you know what you need. I don't know what you need, but you do. And Jesus said, your Father knows what you need before you ask. So go ahead and ask right now, right there where you stand. Ask and ask in faith, not with a sense of condemnation, not with a sense of unworthiness, not with a sense of undeserving. This isn't about you and what you deserve. This is about who you are in Him and the boldness that comes from it. So go ahead. Ask Him. Ask Him. Believing that you receive. If it's healing, ask, but ask in faith. Not, not wavering, not going back, well, I don't know, maybe he wants me to be healed, maybe he doesn't. No, you ask in confidence. Father, I ask you today for the power of God to be at work in this body. And I believe I receive it. I thank you for it. I call it done. I receive it now. If you're coming up short in any area of your life right now, ask. But ask in faith with some confidence about you. Not confidence in you, confidence in Him and who He is and who you are in Him. Father, we ask you. We ask you today. Lord, we've released faith together as a family for the payoff of this place. We ask you for it. We ask you for Every dollar we need to pay this off and to build out our children's ministry, we ask you for it. We believe we receive it. We know it's your will that we have it. We ask in faith, knowing you are willing and able. We give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Glory to God. Notice there's no begging. Oh, God, please, please, please. Please, would you pay it off? Please, would you meet the need? Don't you see? Don't you see? That's like justice. Gaga and goo goo for months. means it's not communication. Ask in faith. Confident. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Altar ministers, would you come to the front, please? If you'd like anybody to stand in agreement with you today concerning any of these things that we're talking about, we've got altar ministers who are ready to pray with you. And if you were with us last week, let me give you this quick testimony and I'll let you go. I fully intended to get you out before 12 today. Somebody say, Lord, help him. We'll get there. But you got to hear this. Uh, if you were with us last week, we extended the call to be born again and we had a, a precious 
sister come forward and give her heart to the Lord. But what you didn't hear was her personal testimony of why she was even in church that day. She drives past us on 24, sees the sign, and I think if I'm not mistaken, she said, I always see that guy out there waving, standing at the gate. And I passed him and I saw him waving and I thought, I got to go to that church. So she turned around and came to church. Not because of somebody's preaching, somebody's singing and playing, because of the man waving. I heard that, and you know what I said out loud? That is the greatest thing that has ever happened in our church. I'm telling you. Somebody came to know Jesus because somebody was faithful to stand in their place. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.